Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. So on today's episode, I'm going to be chatting about the game of life and my philosophy around it, and more importantly, how I have utilized it in my life over the past few years, from college, through graduating, through getting my first job, through closing business deals, all of that, but also how, as a former competitive athlete, this was a big concept for me, and I have taken that discipline and mentality as an athlete in my, I guess what you could say, my past life, so to speak, um, my childhood through my teenage years, I've taken that mentality and have translated it over into my young adult life today. And I want to preface that I, I can understand why some people might not like the term game of life, or they might feel like that sounds too cutthroat, or it sounds too competitive, and it sounds like you're competing with everyone else. But that's the funny part is... The way I view the game of life is you're only competing with yourself. You're the main character and you have to be focused on yourself. And in order to compete, you can only focus on improving within yourself, right? So as a former tennis player, I cannot control how my opponent plays in the aspect of, you know, they've already trained just as much as I have or, you know, less, more, whatever. And I've trained as much as I can, right? But within the moment while I'm playing in that match, I can only control how I'm hitting the ball, my mental focus, and utilizing the skills I have learned in my training to translate on the court and to overcome their game. So that's how I view life as well. And this also does translate over into dating and relationships. There are two ways to go about a game, right? There's the immature childish way, which is practically creating a game within a game that already exists. Or the second option is kind of like the sports analogy, where you come out and perform your best based on your knowledge, your skill set, And within dating, what I see today a lot of people do is they create the game and then again, they create issues themselves by doing something like this where let's say a guy texts you, you take two or three hours to respond intentionally because you want him to think you're busy or you want to create this narrative that you're busy. Now, it's different if you didn't see the text two to three hours later after he sent it, because that has happened to me too. Of course, I not I'm not checking my phone every hour because you know sometimes I'm in a recording and that recording itself is an hour, right? So I didn't check my phone the whole time. But my approach in dating, for example, I'm very direct, yet I understand the push-pull effect of dating and relationships, as well as the concept of dance, right? Like a relationship or the or going into dating, it's like a dance. You have to t- you have to tango. You have to go forward and backward and side to side. So, um, you know, going too direct about something is also a little boring and it's a little vanilla. And then that's how people lose interest as well. So that's why you have to understand that in essence, it life is a game and everything is a game. However, if you can work on being the best player 
or the best competitor within the game, again, that, that does mean you can only focus on yourself, then you will come and perform well within the game of life. And of course, you know, other areas of life like relationships. So before I dive into the three pillars, which are, in my opinion are looks, intellect, and personality in no specific order, I want to share an example of someone that I would always share with my parents Because they, especially my mom, you know, they always kind of thought I was a little too competitive or cutthroat about things. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm not concerned about people outside of me, the external noise, the external world. I'm concerned about the internal, which is me. What can I do to be better and be 1% better every single day? Because again, you cannot directly control the outcome of anything in life but you can increase the probability or the chances of you being in a certain position or having the opportunity to snag a deal or whatever that is right an example of someone i always looked up to in the sports world is maria sharapova uh, who is a retired professional tennis player but i always loved her for a few reasons and even though she wasn't like Serena Williams where she was consistently ranked number one she was always top 10 top 15 in the world right give or take I I don't have the data in front of me but you know she was one of the top players or at the very least one of the top most memorable players in the tennis world as a female player uh you know when I was growing up so I guess you know when I was from eight years old and up And I told my parents, you know, the reason why she has done well during tennis and after, and when I say done well, I'm talking not only do people just talk about her, even whether she's winning the Grand Slam or not, but she's gotten the most brand deals, I believe maybe as like the highest paid female athlete as well. And I'm not 100% sure if she's been paid more than Serena Williams, it may or may not be even. However, I think, can't quote me on this, but I think I saw somewhere that she has been the highest paid. So if that's the case, um, that means she got paid more than Serena Williams. You know, you might ask, okay, why is someone like her, who's not ranked number one while Serena Williams is, why is she getting more brand deals? Why is she getting more endorsements? And the reason is because like I said, there is a game to it. There is a competition to it, whether you like it or not. Sharapova has always had a striking look, right? She's a stunning blonde. She's tall. She's 6'2". She has a really nice, lean, athletic figure, um, you know, could practically be a model even if she really wanted to, right? So that, she always had the looks is what I'm saying. And that is important in life, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not. Looks are the first impression when you walk into a room someone sees how you dress someone sees your hair they see your makeup that's how they form an impression of you and most of us do it subconsciously we might not even want to judge someone like that and in fact i wouldn't call it judging but that's just how we are as humans when we when we see someone we perceive whether we feel like we can trust them based on body language based on gestures right so sharapova always had that look factor, that it factor on the court. And it, it makes things easier when other people might not be as striking, right? But again, you got to understand looks are subjective. So obviously not everyone is going to think um, 
so-and-so is more attractive than the other, right? Someone said this on my podcast the other day. It's like people and, and dating, it's like, it's like fruits, right? You might like strawberries more than you like apples, but that doesn't mean the apple is ugly or less tasty, right? It just means that you prefer strawberries to apples or you prefer a pear to strawberries, right? There is, it's very subjective. It's based on preference. However, um, you can still at least generally say when something or someone is appealing, attractive, striking, and Maria Sharapova had that. And then the second part about her is that she was actually talented. She was top 15 in the world, top 10 usually. Um, and, you know, she again, she wasn't the most consistent. She didn't win the most Grand Slams. Um, she had very memorable moments. But again, because of her looks and then still being top 10, top 15 in the world, she remained within the conversation of, you know, women's tennis and who who's some of the best or who are some of the women to look out for in uh, the tennis world. And the last part about her is that she really did have charisma right you know there's just something about her when she talks you like to listen to her when she plays you like to watch her she has that sass or in some other terms sometimes someone might say oh she has like a swagger about her the way she walks the way she grunts on the court whatever like she really had all three and I told my parents that recently because I told them I am predicting that Emma Raducanu who recently won the U.S. Open and I was actually there at her match and I've been watching her for a long time now um, again because I was a former tennis player but I was watching her and I was telling them you know between her and Layla the reason why she's gonna go a lot further is because Outside of the skill, right? Both of them are extremely great players. Emma has charisma and looks. You know, she has a very unique look to her. She's half Chinese, half Romanian, and is British, you know? And so um, that's already very unique about her. She's got like a unique, uh, different look. And she's she's cute. She's really pretty. And, um, you know, she's 18, I think, turning 19 soon. So she has a long way to go and blossom. Um, as a tennis player, as an athlete, she has the skill, right? She won US Open. She didn't drop a set. And she just won Transylvania Open as well over in Romania. So big congrats to her. Um, but aside from the looks and the skill, she also has charisma. If you go on YouTube and watch some of the interviews that she has done, and again, I'm, I'm not putting anyone down, but if you compare her to Layla or someone else in close to age, right? You want to compare people within the same age range. But again, Emma is 18 years old who just, you know, finished high school. She holds herself really well. She has a lot of composure. She speaks really well. And, you know, again, for someone who's 18, right, being in the limelight like that, I have to give her a lot of credit. She just holds herself really well and has charisma that makes people really like her. Now, I will say, though, when I was at the U.S. Open Finals, most people were actually rooting for Layla. Like the row that I was in, everyone was rooting for Layla except for me. Like when Emma won a point, I would stand up and like fucking cheer and clap. And I don't know if I just have a strong connection with her just because, you know, I'm Asian as well. And I just like see a little bit of me in her. But, um, you know, again, being in a tennis match like that and having other people and hearing that out loud, hearing other people root for your opponent, um, you know, where like 70% or maybe 80% of the audience is rooting for the other person, that takes a lot of composure and mental focus to ignore, right? But, you know, one thing that struck me, again, not to go off on this tennis tangent, but 
one thing that struck me during that match too is when Emma had that fall and like her knee started bleeding I remember when you know and Layla got a lot of criticism for this but she just flipped out and went off on the referee saying it was unfair that you know Emma had that timeout but it wasn't even Emma's call it was actually the referee's call because I think in the rule book like if someone's bleeding you have to automatically do like a medical timeout and the camera zoomed in like her knee was gushing blood it was dripping almost down to her sneakers and so um you know I guess the point is is like charisma makes you likable it makes you more I think understood people gravitate towards you more and I see that as a long-term result for Emma and I see that as a similarity with Sharapova that's why there's no coincidence that Sharapova's former manager um is also I believe now Emma Raducanu's manager I guess someone who does all her brand deals and talent endorsements all of that so the point of that is you don't have to be the best in each bucket. In fact, being the best or the most talented, again, like Serena Williams, it'll get you far and very well respected in the sport. And honestly, too, it's very, very difficult feat to be like Serena Williams or like Roger Federer, where you are just at the top of your game for such a long period of time. That already is a very difficult feat. But what is actually maybe more reasonable is instead of being a 10 in one bracket, so again, on like a scale of 1 to 10, instead of being a 10 on one facet, but then like a 2 or 4 in the other two, what if you could actually level it all out and optimize each facet or pillar where you're maybe around a 7 to 8 or 9 in all three? And that is exactly what I've seen Sharapova and my personal belief that Emma Raducanu will be able to execute as well. I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our quote-unquote success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves, on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and, of course, weekly check-ins with myself. And when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. <laughs> Pre-order the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! So I want to dive into the pillars really quick and just kind of share my thoughts on it and what I've personally done in my own life because, I think again, I think we're all born with different advantages and disadvantages. In the looks department, I know growing up, um, especially in a very rural area, my town was 8,000 people and predominantly Caucasian, okay? So I, I'm sure I've shared parts of the story but in the past if you've listened for a while, but, you know, I was pretty much one of the few Asians that any of my peers have seen, you know, especially, you know, in elementary school, middle school, and so forth. And I've had my time with bullying and um, having, I guess you could say, being discriminated towards and all of that. So I have felt that in my childhood um, and I remember for a long time up until the past like seven years I didn't really appreciate the difference and the unique look I had as an Asian as a Vietnamese American 
but <laughs> I will say, but um, today I could not be more grateful to have a more unique look as an Asian American. And especially for those of you who are listening and you feel like you've always felt different and looked different, I'm going to tell you, you have to use that as your competitive advantage. And for me personally, how I've utilized that to my advantage is thinking about not only, okay, being this ethnic background makes me unique, but what else is it about me physically that I can improve on, right? For me, I've always wanted to stay strong and healthy because that's just the habits I had as an athlete. And so towards the end of college, I really started to put a emphasis and focus on fitness and working out and just being as toned as possible. And, you know, for layman's terms, it's like, okay, how does one get a hot body? And I'm not saying that you should be comparing yourself to a Victoria's Secret model and being like, oh my God, I'm never going to get there, right? Because I'm currently a size, I don't know, six. And how could I be a size two, you know? And so I'm not saying like, think of it that way. But what I am saying is think of what your ideal best self would look like. Now, we're just just focusing on the looks right now. We're going to dive into personality and intellect after. But if you think about that version, right, which again, there is no wrong answer. That's kind of the mistake I think is like everyone goes, oh my God, you have to be more accepting and loving of yourself. Yes, but if deep down inside you feel your body and your mind saying, ooh, I wish I was more this and you're actually striving towards that improvement, then that's a form of self-love because you love yourself enough to tell yourself the truth. And then the second part of that is you love yourself enough to go and take action and to start to work towards that. I personally feel like right now my body has never been more fit and toned. Like I've been doing Pilates two to three times a week over the past uh, like two months now. My body has been extremely toned and I think since the end of February through July, I have been in the gym probably five times a week, lifting weights, doing cardio, all that. So, you know, the other week when a family member of mine said, oh my God, like you look so much slimmer because they haven't seen me for three months. I was like, thank you, you know, and I certainly dealt with some criticism about my body in the past uh, within family just because as an Asian, I am tall um, or relatively tall, right? I'm 5'6", and I have curves. And if you look at the general population of Asia, most of them, or most women, uh, tend to be smaller. So they tend to be on the petite side. Like my mom, I think before she started shrinking, I guess, you know, as you get older, you start to get smaller. And um, I think back then when I was younger, she was probably 5'2", maybe 5'3", at most, but now, you know, she's like 5'1 or a little bit less. And so, you know, she has a petite figure. And um, what they're used to seeing is like women being smaller and having no curves, right? And um, that's something I dealt with for a while. But then over the past year or two, I started to recognize like, actually, uh, not only does it look great on me because I'm a woman, I'm not a girl anymore, but also truth be told, it's very attractive and very appealing to the eye, um, especially when it comes to dating and guys and obviously they enjoy that and I enjoy it. So I think you have to find what works best for you. And like I said, there is no wrong answer. But if you are at a point where you're like, damn, I wish I, you know, maybe toned up a bit and maybe lost five pounds or maybe you want to gain some weight because you feel like 
you're too slim and you want to gain some muscle 100% put some focus and energy on that because that is part of your personal competitive advantage in life and that contributes on how well you perform in what I call the game of life and the reason why is because again looks are not everything but they're part of it and when we deny that we do a disservice to ourselves because that is the truth right you obviously have to be attracted to your romantic partner And again, like I said earlier, when you walk into a room, people look at you, they they perceive something about you, and within their own mind, they make a decision whether you are trustworthy or not, or whether they feel like they can trust you initially, right? We all do it subconsciously, and that's why when we pass someone on the street, some of us might feel uncertain or sometimes we feel unsafe, right? Especially as women, if we walk in the city at night, that kind of thing, right? And we have to be more alert, and as well, when we're asking for help from someone, like we we look at them and we evaluate based on body language and expression whether we feel like they're reliable, And part of that, again, is the physical looks. And I'm not saying it's like, oh, I think this person is hot, so I trust them. But it is about the way we feel drawn to someone or maybe not drawn to someone because in part of the physical first impression. The second pillar I think about a lot and I work on a lot, um, you know, obviously with this podcast is intellect. Now, these are just the pillars I think about and consider as your holistic competitive advantage in the game of life so that this is not you know based on science or anything this is literally just my thoughts you guys okay just thought I'd you know throw that in there but with intellect what I've noticed um you know when I was a kid (laughs) of course you know with Asian parents they probably thought I was gifted and so they had me go get tested in the gifted program in elementary school and fuck no, I did not make it. I was certainly not gifted. In fact, uh, you know, I actually had very average SAT scores, average ACT scores. I, you know, I had a probably 3.9 GPA in high school, unweighted. I don't, I don't fucking know, maybe 3.8 even, you guys. Like I, I was not a stellar student. Like I performed well. I knew how to work hard and perform well but I was not actually a great critical thinker I wasn't a good test taker I wasn't actually naturally intellectual I think I had it semi-natural but I had to work towards it a lot and as a kid and a teenager I certainly did not have the desire to improve my intellectual knowledge nearly as much as I do today so I would be curious to see if my SAT or ACT scores uh, would improve if I took it now, even though I haven't done, you know, algebra and all that shit um, since then, but or calculus, but I'm sure, you know, it, I, I might catch on. But the point is, I noticed how well I started to perform in, you know, life in general when I really start to focus on my intellectual capabilities. And this was outside of academics in school. I'm talking like improving my knowledge on life, human behavior, psychology, um, you know, stoicism that's always been a big passion of mine since college and anything that I find unique and anything I find that's calling to me, right? 
So with intellect, it can really help you in many areas of life, as we can easily assume. But if you think about it, right, like jobs and applying for jobs and interviewing, as you build up your knowledge, you're able to throw in some unique facts or maybe unique tidbits within a conversation or within the person that's interviewing you, or you're going to feel more confident because of your intellect or you're going to speak with this eloquence and you're going to speak with a stronger sense of intellect right that's how I have felt um, since picking up on improving my own knowledge outside of school but then also as well when people talk to you especially again in the dating world or making new friends people are going to notice that people are going to notice like wow this girl is intellectual she's she's really sharp she's smart and is driven by expanding her knowledge and to a lot of people that's just really attractive right and what else i will say about that is there's this quote that i've always loved my dad said it it's that birds with the same feathers flock together and I really resonate and live by this quote because I've seen it manifest not only in my life, but just in the general world, right? If you think about it, people that go to Stanford or Harvard or, you know, Penn State or whatever school, right? Everyone has, again, I'm generalizing, but a similar intellectual level, right? And that's why they attend those schools. Not only are those people attracted to the potential intellectual knowledge they will receive at those universities, but also the fellow intellects that they may run into, right? So that goes the same with friends and your friend circle. You know that quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And part of that includes your intellect, the way you talk, the way you observe life, the way you approach your life decisions, all of that. And For me, I've noticed, again, as I have become more interested in improving my knowledge and areas of life that I wasn't that knowledgeable in in the past, I noticed more people who also feel the same way and also are at a certain intellectual level, I run into more and I hold more conversations with them and I become friends with them. And that's why if you're ever wondering like how... I have certain connections in my life and how I'm friends with certain people, it's truly because of kind of that standard and that quote, birds with the same feathers flock together. And the way I see it as well is if, if let's just say, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but if you feel like you're not at that level yet, you can still strive towards it. You can still strive to be like, damn, I want to be a part of that circle. I want to be a part of that group. What can I do to improve within myself? Because an analogy I've always had as well relating to sports, whether it's figure skating or tennis, when you go and compete, you have to go and compete at a certain level. So if I was competing in skating, I would compete at the junior or senior level. Or if it was in tennis, it would either be like, you know, probably L4 or L3, just it really depends. And I would tell my parents this too, and and they would really get it. But I tell them, someone who's in L6 for tennis, they cannot compete with someone in L4 or L3. In fact, they will go into the tournament, just get fucking crushed, right? That's, That's just horrific. Why would you do that to yourself? So it's not something that's negative or something or like where you are 
discluding people or you're discluding yourself because you're not good enough. But rather, it's the way I frame it in my mind. It's like, ooh, I am not there yet, but I'm on my way. And I'm working towards that. So again, I I use the skating and tennis analogy just because that relates to my life. But maybe there's something in your life that you could relate it to, right? So I would not talk down about myself if I was L6 in tennis and wanted to compete or be at the level of L4 I wouldn't be like oh Emily you suck I would just be like oh Emily you see that you want to play against her you want to play in that tournament next time then you better fucking work towards that you better be putting in the hours on the court to get there because you don't want to come into L4 and be the bottom of the barrel right you want to come in and comfortably compete and hold yourself to the standard that all these players hold themselves to. So my mom always criticized and said, oh, Emily, that's very negative. You're talking down about people or you're talking down about certain levels or thinkings. I'm like, no, it's not about that though because you would frame it that way if you believe in this concept of competing with other people. But I don't frame it that way because again, I only compete with myself and I level up within myself. So my point is, if you feel like you always frame it in this way of, oh, that's negative about another person, that's talking down about another person, well, actually, maybe it's time to reframe it as it has nothing to do with other people. It only has to do with yourself because you can only focus on yourself and the internal work. So the last and final pillar I think about when it comes to having a competitive advantage in life is of course your personality and your level of charisma. Obviously someone good looking and really smart but with a really shitty personality and no charisma and is just not kind and honest and doesn't act with integrity, they're not going to go far. People are not going to like them because again charisma is what makes people drawn to you and what makes people like you and um, genuinely like you, right? Now, I've talked about this in the past. I certainly did not feel like I was the person I was meant to be a couple years ago. So from like 19 or let's just say like 18 to 20, like right before I turned 21, I feel like that period of my life, I was just not the greatest person. And that's where it all starts though, in that in order to improve on your personality and work on it and work on that internal self, you have to acknowledge that you might actually be a shitty person or that you might be dishonest or you might be a manipulator or you might lie a lot, right? Because if you don't acknowledge it, then you're going to prolong this false perception of reality and this false perception of who you are and how people think of you. So, You know, over the years, as I've worked on my personal development and worked on being a better person, um, obviously that starts with surrounding myself with better people, more like-minded people, people that have similar values. Um, Avery, one of my best friends who has been on the show, she's one of them. She just is very charismatic, extremely kind, honest, selfless. And I've gotten a lot of those traits um, or developed those traits more So um, in depth, being around her and again, being around similar people that have those qualities as well, right? Um, So I would say, you know, if you are someone that feels like you want to improve on your personality or however, it kind of sounds weird too when you say, oh, I'm going to improve on my personality. I just think that 
who you are, your character should always be developing and improving. And, um, and my biggest advice on that is be really mindful about who you surround yourself with because that does shape your personality. Now, I will say like the birds with the same feathers flock together, you will tend to be around people within that same level. But in order to, again, grow and improve, you have to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone and find people that have the traits that you want more of. And I mentioned this on a couple episodes ago, I think on a solo episode where when I first transferred to Chapman University when I was a junior, I had no friends. I was pretty much starting on a complete blank slate. And I remember a girl I met on my first day of class, we hit it off really well. But then over time, I I saw some yellow flags, I guess you could call it, that just didn't really align with the person I knew I wanted to become. And as tempting as it was to just settle and stay friends with her because I didn't have any friends yet and I essentially was quote-unquote in a more lonely stage in my life, I recognized like certain things like skipping class to go smoke marijuana was just not my jibe. And those decisions right there, when you make that in the moment where you go, okay, love this person, but just not for me and certainly not for me long-term, when you make that mindful decision, you are putting yourself first and going, hey, I don't want to go down that route. I'm still, I still have my eye on this route and I want to be more of this person. And when you speak about those values and when you hold those true and strong to who you are, you will again slowly but surely attract the right people. And that's how my best friend Avery came into my life um, later, a couple months later, uh, that year or that junior year of college. And I guess to kind of wrap things up here, my thoughts on these three pillars, certainly I would say personality and charisma is the most important. And I guess for a more deeper phrase for personality, I would call it your character. That's the most important because that will always shine through. But the other two, in my opinion, the intellect and the looks, and intellect, I guess you could tie that in um, with like your skill set or your talent, right? So when I was referring to Sharapova and just tennis players, obviously the game within that was obviously having this, you know, being a top player, right? So you can't just be a pretty tennis player and have good charisma, but you're not top 20 in the world because then you're not that memorable on the court either, right? So again, it's all a balance, but the way I look at it is how can I optimize each pillar at the best of my ability? And it's always going to be a spectrum and it's always going to be something that you work towards. I don't even know if you can ever fully max something out, right? Because, you know, beauty fades and looks fade as you get older. Um, You're not as young and beautiful anymore, but... Um, that's why your energy, your aura, your charisma, that will shine through even more. But if you want to focus on like the current chapter of life you are at, for me, I ask myself, how can I optimize each part of my life? So physically, of course, I, I believe having a strong, toned, healthy physique, uh, very important to me. Again, that importance might not matter as much to people, to certain people and There's no right or wrong answer, so I just want to keep putting that out there. But 
for me I acknowledge that and I go okay so how can I work towards and prioritize having a figure and overall physical look that I feel self-confident about right and you know it, it took me years like I look back at old photos from when I was in college and when I first graduated I certainly don't look as similar as I did back then I noticed the differences I think back then even especially in college I was I was skinnier um I didn't have as much muscle I didn't have as toned curves but now I I just I think I have blossomed more into a woman that I am happy to have become and so having a physical look that you love it does come down to actually loving how you look but also it's always a work in progress right it's always the question of how can I be one percent better today tomorrow the following day and that comes back to your habits I implement a routine where I'm either in the gym, on the ice, or doing Pilates four to five times a week. I keep it consistent. I prioritize it for my day. And so, for example, if I have plans to work out at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, which is currently my routine, I will never do anything late on a Tuesday night because... My priority is going to that Pilates class and not missing it and making sure my body stays damn fit and damn strong and that's something that's good to be proud of, right? And that goes the same with your intellect and your personality and again, all of that relates to your character, your energy, etc. And one last thought too I wanted to add and something that I kind of mentioned already in this episode, but you got to remember that the people you hang around with are on a similar level. And so that also means if you have been wanting to or you feel like you finally want to up-level the type of people you surround yourself with, which is a journey that I have gone on as well over the past couple of years, you have to realize the, the barrier to entry in that sense does come down to those pillars it comes down to your intellect your looks even finance style all of that because like they say you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with most and birds with the same feathers flock together so if you try to enter a i guess certain like social hierarchy or again that does exist in the game of life as well but as you try to enter these different groups or be around certain types of people, there is that barrier of entry because you never want to feel like an odd one out or you never want to feel like you you don't belong, right? Again, going back to my sports analogy with tennis, if I'm an L6 player and I try to compete in an L4 or an L3 tournament, I will fucking get smashed and I will be out in the first round and I will look kind of dumb for playing right because it's like okay sweetie you didn't belong here in the first place so it's not saying you can't ever belong here or you can't ever play amongst us but in order to you will have to up level in whatever area in order to get there so in tennis it's like okay I have to up level my game I have to be stronger I have to be quicker I have to be you know more smart on the court right so that's how I look at it with life and the game of life is If I want to be able to be within a certain job or a certain career or or I want to be eating at certain restaurants that are like fucking bougie as hell and super expensive in New York City, right? Like there's nothing wrong with wanting those things if that's out of genuine interest. But if you find that there's resistance or friction to getting there or getting into there, 
instead of blaming the external world for being the blockage point for you, maybe it's time to look within and go, hmm, what can I do to improve myself as a person and as a player in this game of life? So that was all for today's episode, all about my thoughts on the game of life and the different pillars that I utilize to focus on and to improve on as well as you know a little bit about social hierarchy and how I relate that back to tennis and figure skating in my athletic days Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed this and found something valuable and like I said early on if this didn't resonate with you I hope you could at least be open-minded to understanding how this framework does apply or can apply right you have to be open-minded in order to take little bits and pieces from other people and see how that applies into your own life but um, ultimately I want to reiterate this is not about competing with other people life is not about competing with other people but you got to understand life is competitive you have to compete to get into schools you have to compete to get a job you have to compete to you know, be the most attractive partner for the right partner for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But again, you you don't win by tearing someone else down, right? That's what I see as competing with other people. You win by being the most optimized player in your field and up-leveling within yourself, kind of like video games. You level up each time you get better, right? But you're playing for yourself within yourself and as you improve, you start to enter a new dimension. And that's something I advise everyone listening just to consider and think about in your own life, especially if you are graduating college soon and you're going to enter the real world and the job force. But before we head out, be sure to check out the What Fulfills You card game at whatfulfillsyou.com. And since you are a podcast listener, you get the exclusive 10% off with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That is whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. These cards will be shipping very soon. And so if you pre-ordered this, that's the only way I can guarantee to get these to you before the holidays or at the very least, especially before Thanksgiving. Um, I can't tell you if this will sell out soon. So just make sure you get your hands on this. If you want to gift this to a friend, family member, work colleague, it definitely applies in all different areas of life. So go grab a game yourself at whatfulfillsyou.com. Thanks again for tuning in. I will chat with you all next week. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.